This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and thank you so much for joining us for episode two of Margaret's Garden. If you like the show and you like what we do, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way for us to get our show in front of new listeners. And if you're interested in early access and ad-free episodes, and fun things like postcards and pins coming actually in December, consider joining us at midnightdisease.net slash join. There, for just $5 a month, you can get early and ad-free access to Margaret's Garden, Out of Place, The Theater of Tomorrow, and The Hotel. Plus, you can also get access to a premium bonus feed uh, that's just full of weird random audio experiments, uh, interviews with some of the cast and crew, and much, much more. All of that at midnightdisease.net slash join. But without further ado, Episode 2. The past is a complicated place. A place where our transgressions cast long shadows, and the regrets born therein linger with dark purpose. It is the graveyard of our unrealized hopes and promises, the last bastion of our unfulfilled dreams. Let us venture back once more into that unalterable terrain, back both in time and space, to the now fully realized utopia of Everton in the early 50s. It is an auspicious time in America. A gallon of gas will only set you back 20 cents, give or take. I Love Lucy and Danny Thomas are dominating the airwaves, and Elvis and Chuck Berry are laying the foundations of rock and roll. But our little tale involves none of these iconic events. Rather, it involves one Ernie Everett, co-creator and salesman extraordinaire for the town of Everton. Today, we see him walking the endlessly winding streets of his namesake town, carrying a bunt cake. Yes, a bunt cake, the golden brown baked harbinger of all things evil. He passes one after another identical facades and well-kept lawns until he arrives at a small, nondescript gatehouse. He raps on the window with the back of his left hand, carefully cradling the grooved and spongy thing of evil in the other. A moment passes, and then the door opens, just a tad, and a head appears. It is a head that is, perhaps, still a little sleepy at this early hour. A head with eyes whose flat gaze is all business and no bullshit. It is the fateful head of one Nathan Mars, faithful fixed man, de facto sheriff, and future victim of inglorious garden sheer decapitation. Looks like bad news. What? Bad news? Why is that? You brought a bunt cake. Nothing good ever came with a bunt cake. But that's cinnamon. Did she make that? What, this? No, no. Got it down at Irma's Sweets. Fresh out of the oven. Still warm. Still warm, huh? Must be real bad. 
Eh, you got me. No fooling you, Mars. The bunt cake speaketh. Is it another... visitor? Do we need a clean-up? Should I round up the boys? No, no. Nothing like that. But I did want to talk to you about that, uh... About, you know... The other place. The big migration, all of that. It's all anyone can talk about right now. True enough. I can hardly believe it myself. Who would have ever thought such a thing was possible? The thing is, Mars, Eddie and I, and some of the housing committee have been thinking. You know, for us to really make a go of it over there... Well, gosh, Mars, I don't really know how to say this, but... We think that we're gonna need someone to stick around. Someone to make sure that everything on this side keeps humming along, you know? Just in case something over there, or something over here, or, jeez, I don't even know what... There's so much we don't know about over there. Right. And the wells. And the hole. And the hole of the hole. I figured Conway would be the one. Yeah, we considered Conway. He was the logical first choice, but we think we're gonna need Conway. Over there. When we get there, he'll be the one to, uh, set up the gates. And to establish the sinks, and... Heck, he'll be the one solving the problems we don't even know exist yet. Right. Conway's a real... Right, right. So, anyway. You know Moses, right? From the Bible? Well, sure I do. The whole, let my people go. Egypt and the plagues. I know him. Right, right. He led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert. Forty years they wandered around out there. Eventually, though... He led them right to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. But right at the last moment, bam, the voice of God. He wasn't going to be able to go into the promised land with them. He had to stay behind. So you're going to stay behind? Me? No, not me either. We, Eddie, myself, and the housing committee, we were thinking about you. Me? You're more like Moses than I am. It's not a one-to-one here, Mars. It's a metaphor. A metaphor, huh? Well, unpack it for me then, Ernie. Well, look at all that you've done for Everton these last few years. You've kept us safe. You've cast out the darkness. You've shepherded us through the desert. When the wolves came, you were there. You've been our Moses. And it always seemed to come so natural to you. You're a born protector. I remember you telling me when we first met about how you always had wanted to be a lawman and how they wouldn't take you. Said I wasn't fit after the... Right, but we did take you. And then you took us under your wing. You've been more than just the Sheriff of Everton. You've been our protector, our rock, our guardian angel. This because of Margaret? Because... No, this has nothing to do with that. Because that was a misunderstanding. I was trying... I know, Mars. We all do. Everything I've done, I did for this town. The amount of those things that I killed... I know, I know. The saying about Margaret, you gotta believe me. That's in the past, and forgiven, and forgotten. This is about our future. About Everton's future. You were the gun and shield. Now I... We need you to still be that for us. When we're gone... We need someone here that we can trust. Someone to hold back the darkness from this side. To protect our six. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
When you put it like that, I suppose it does. You'll be doing the town an unbelievable service. You'll be a hero. A hero? Nah. I'm just a badge and a gun. I see it otherwise. And so will the town and all the future generations in Everton. But look. We won't make you. We can't make you. You have just as much right to accompany us over there as anyone else. More right, me. No, no, you're right. You're right. Everton needs a steady hand on this side of the line. I'm no Moses. And I'm certainly no hero. But I'll do it. I'll stay. Mars, you have no idea how much that means to us. To me. I knew I could count on you to come through for us. To protect us. Always, Mr. Everton. And that's why you take the cake. Get it? Ah, now I see. What did I tell you? Bunk cakes and bad news. Peas and a pod. Yeah. Strange, isn't it? Maybe it's the ridges. I don't know. Anyways, I've got a hundred things to do and fifty things worth of time. I better get to it. We'll circle back to the details later. Thanks again, Mars. Oh, wait. Yeah? Why couldn't Moses go with them? You know, in, into the promised land. Well, I think it was because he hit a rock to make water instead of talking to it or something like that. Oh. Huh. That doesn't make much sense, does it? I suppose it doesn't. Embrace the mystery, Mars. Embrace the mystery. There's a danger to dwelling too long in the past, don't you think? Let's come back to the present and see what's happening with Agents Washington and Harris. They've arrived at a rundown seaside motel. To say that it's seen better days would be a disservice to better days. But yes, it has seen better days. But then again, so have they. What happened? My head. Washington, you there? Where the hell are we? I'm... I'm here, unfortunately. Wherever here is. A dump pretending to be a hotel. Circa 1953? What is this wallpaper? A faded paisley floral pattern. Uh, this comforter smells like a Nantucket crotch. Were we... Were we at a mall? Does this happen a lot? This better not be the afterlife, and yes... It does. Welcome to the agency, kid. Transcendental travel to unknown corners of the multiverse is an occupational hazard. Knock, knock. Can I come in? W what the fuck? Oh, shit. Move, Harris. The door. Take left. I've got right. Ready? Come in! Funny things happen when you find yourself in another world. Agent Washington knows all about this. But that doesn't mean that you're always ready for what's on the other side of the proverbial door. Strange things sometimes knock, and when you let them in, well, let's just say, it's never quite what you expect. The agents ready themselves, their weapons hot, their adrenaline fully surging through the bloodstream. The door bursts open, and a large creature ambles in. He appears to be a cross between a pile of rags and a rhinoceros pretending to be an elephant. Oh, and he is blue. A kind of garish, offensive blue. Easy there, big boy. 
Don't move. Whoa, whoa, no need for all that. Just checking in on you. I've got some fresh towels here. Well, mostly fresh. Found you both on the beach, right? Put it on your tab. Looks like you partied a little too hardy, daddy-o's. What, what, what the fuck? Washington, what? What am I seeing? Only the best my time making all of the beach zone. Hoopla! <laughs> Haven't seen you cats around here before. I didn't think that was possible anymore. What? What are you? What? I think you mean who, my man? I'm Frank the Stank, owner and operator of the Seaside Shanty Motel and Motorcorp. But you're... you're blue and... Really, I'm more of a turquoise, leaning toward the teal. But yeah, blue also covers it. And not human. <laughs> I wish. And you own and operate a business. Uh, yes? Wow. You must have really tied one on. Are you okay, little human? Bump your head, maybe? And you're blue. Oh, boy. Can you give me and my partner a minute here, Frank? Oh, sure thing. I guess you're still a bit hungover. No worries. I see it all the time. Well, not so much lately. But you human beings do love to get loose, right? I'll be down in the lobby if you need anything. But just so you know, it's Tiki Tuesday down at the Lido Lounge. Let me get you a complimentary drink coupon and- Leave! No, uh, right, right, of course. I'm going, I'm going. Uh, let's not report this, right? Towels are on the house! <laughs> blue. <laughs> He's blue? And a monster. Yes, Harris. He's blue. Let's move on. We've got much more than colors here to consider. Like where the fuck we landed. What? We landed? My guess is that fucking Pasha and that door in the mall must have been some kind of wormhole or teleportation device. Or who knows what. We're definitely not in Kansas anymore. Or we're dead, maybe. Our dying brains are caught in one final synaptic storm and this is all an illusion. But if that was the case, why would you be here? I can't imagine I'd include you in my final moments. No offense. <sighs> Doesn't make sense. Of course, it could be that we've been dosed. Maybe Pasha drugged us with very powerful hallucinogens. Or this could be some kind of simulation. They didn't cover this in training. I don't remember anyone mentioning interstellar kidnapping or fucked up simulations or synaptic storms. Try not to worry, kid. It's more a level mu problem than anything else. Nothing we can't handle. But something does feel a little off here. I have zero sense that this is a hallucination or simulation. And I definitely think we're still on the top side of the afterlife. I think we may have stumbled onto Everton's little secret. And, well, it's not so little after all. I... I... It's not... We're not... What? It doesn't make sense. Any of this. I have to put things in order. Things have to make sense. Don't fall apart on me now, Harris. This is the job. It's time to go to work. It's just like... 
What the fuck? How do I begin to process this? How do you process this? Easy. You've got two choices. One, you can freak the fuck out and let the absolute absurdity of our situation drive you into a black hole of fear, confusion, and insanity. Okay. And the second option? Or... You can accept what is happening and do your fucking job. Especially the part where you have my back. I know you didn't train for this. No one does. There is no training for this. But you sure as hell knew that it was a possibility. Weird shit. It was bound to happen. Can you accept it? Accept what exactly? All of it, Harris. Accept all of it. We are very, very far from home. We're in a motel. A dump of a motel owned by a... I don't know what you'd call it. A creature, I guess. Named Frank the Stank. And he serves delicious tiki drinks down at the Lodi Lounge. We were brought here, possibly via a wormhole or some other such thing, by another creature. A being or creature made out of space dust or stardust or what have you, a cosmonaut. That little trip took place after we saw a man decapitated by what was likely yet another inhuman being who happened to be wearing a guy like a glove. And all of that took place in an abandoned mall in an abandoned city in the middle of nowhere where we'd be sent to check on a seemingly innocuous power surge. And, well, I think that's a good place to start. It's just, it's just a lot to process. Just one of those things would be, uh, would be, uh, would... Here's the problem, Buttercup. It's happening to us. Now. All of it. So, let's just roll with it. Like I said, I need you to have my back right now. Shit can still, amazingly, get weirder, and I need you ready for action. Are you with me? Okay. Great. Let's go get a drink. Let's see if we can figure out what the hell is going on here. Hey everyone, Pacific here with a quick ad break. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Thanks for listening. And now, back to our story. The seaside shanty leaves a lot to be desired, friends. One gets the sense, when traversing its halls and haunts, that it used to be a pretty swinging place. Beneath the dirt and grime, one can still see its very stylish sensibilities. Maud, I believe they called it. But as agents Washington and Harris make their way to the lounge, there is little to admire. When they finally arrive, Frank the Stank and his cheerful humming are the only bright spots in an otherwise dreary and forgotten tiki lounge. So, um, Mr. the Stank. Ah, my esteemed guest! So glad you could make it! Come in, come in! And please, Mr. the Stank was my footer. Call me Frankie. Frankie. Great. Pleasure to meet you, Frankie. So we're new in town. Ha <laughs> ha! Funny! New and down. That's a good one. 
No one is new here. Not anymore. Is that so? Right, of course. What I meant to say is, we're just, uh, we're just pretending. Pretending to be new in town. Playing a game. Oh, I love games. Pinochle. You like Pinochle? Pinochle is great. Me and Manana used to play for buttons. <laughs> she had a lot of buttons. Oh, buttons are great. I like the ones with four holes that right. are... Right, yes. We all love buttons. Thank you, Harris. Perfect. So, let's play a game. Not Pinochle. It's a game where I, we, are intrepid explorers, right? And we just came from very, very far away. And we crash-landed on the beach. Let's pretend that. Oh, is that why you're different from the others? Different? Your color. You're not like any human being I've ever seen. All them are the same color as him. White? Mmm, off-white, I'd say. Salmon pink, maybe. A little splotchy. But definitely not turquoise or teal. But you're... How is it you change color? Is this part of the game? It's against the rules, you know. That is a long societal road that I'm not sure we want to go down, Frankie. We don't actually change colors. Some of us are just born this way. That isn't the point. What rule? Tell us more about the rules. Sure, Miss Traveler. T. Here in Everworld, that's the way it is. All the laws of the Swell Code come from Everton City. The Swell Code is the rules, and Everton City, that's where all the bosses live. The bosses all came from the sky, and forced time to run in one direction. And then they forced all of us to help them make the most beautiful world. But it wasn't so beautiful. Not always. I mean, we love helping them. Don't get me wrong. I live to serve, right? I, I really do. Even when we're just playing a game, right? Please don't say anything. Oh, man, me and my big mouth. Sometimes I just blab on and on. You have the different colors, just like me, right? Let's keep playing and say it's our secret what I said about the bosses, okay? But it ain't like the old days. Wait. Everworld? Everton City? The Swell Code? Is he playing through? He's always playing. Let's not get sidetracked here, Frankie. And let's try to keep it simple. Give us the elevator pitch on what's happening. Used to be tourists from Everton would come to Shoresville. All the time. This is Shoresville. Lots of tourists. Human beings love to party. But since they put the energy field up and... Then when the tithers started reaping, well, it's not the same. No one wants to come to Shoresville anymore. Not to mention the processing camps down the Old Coast Road. Folks definitely don't like coming past the camps. And for the natives, well, the field keeps expanding, and the spaces where we're allowed keep shrinking and shrinking. There's no reason for us to be down this way. It's best to stay as far away from the bosses as possible. But, but you know that. Okay. I have about a million follow-up questions to what you just said. Shoot them at me, Daddy-o. Okay, first it's, uh... What's that? Oh, man. Not again. Attention, citizens! Good news! This building and the surrounding land is being reclaimed for the beautification project. 
Please report to Processing Camp I-7-Alpha-12 for reclassification and integration. What in the fuck is all that about? Sorry, folks. Game time is over. I have to report to Processing. You know what happens if we don't. Where is this Processing Camp, Frankie? I've a feeling the answers to our questions might live there, too. Camp I-7-Alpha-12 is up toward Pleiades. That's not a safe place for human beings. Not since the riots. Probably best you head back home down the old coast road and towards Everworld. But you know that. I mean, this is just a game, right? Answers live there, too. And what will happen to you? What goes on at these camps? Wow. You are really committed to the game. Everyone knows what happens at the camps. But it's either the camps or the tithers. And nobody messes with the tithers. Better to head straight to the camp and do the right thing, right? It'll be swell. Isn't that what you tell us? And so Frank the Stank packs up his little suitcase and puts on a battered old fedora and then hobbles his way off to a fate that will probably be far less than swell. Washington and Harris, meanwhile, make their way down the old coast road, Frank the Stank's disturbing revelations slowly setting in. So, just what in the holy fuck is happening here? Is this some kind of throwback to the Holocaust? Some kind of revived racist America? You're surprised, Harris? You shouldn't be. You read the brief. Everton was a whites-only community. Most of those 50s-era suburban prefab towns were... Sorry. For what? Ah, racism, I guess. That's sweet. Tweet an apology when we get home. On this planet, racism is still alive and well, and looks like it's even grown into something uglier than it could have ever been back on Earth. Wait a second. So, now you're saying that we're definitely on another planet. No simulation or hallucination? It's my working theory. And now we know what happened to the lost citizenry of Everton. And where they went? (laughs) Bright boy. And here is... Oh, Harris. Your guess is as good as mine. Some fucked up distant planet. Maybe the Earth in an alternate dimension. A pocket universe. Take your pick. Don't you want to know which one it is? Does putting a taxonomy on it help us? Right now, I want to deal with right now. And right now, like you said, we've discovered the whereabouts of the missing citizens of Everton. Now we just need to see if what they've done is a danger to our Earth and our universe. It's pretty clear that someone here is messing with powers, or technology, that is way outside of their lane. And we need to check it before shit goes sideways. Agents Washington and Harris continue along the old coast road. They're discussing the nature of alternate worlds, broken spirits, and level 10 racism and they hardly notice the danger that is slowly gathering around them. There, in the shadows of the nearby ruins, are more of the native sons and daughters of this fever-dreamed land, and these children are no Frank the Stank. One or two members of this brood has blood on their mind. As the agents draw nearer to the tumbled-down shack, still animatedly discussing their situation, One of their watchers gathers the final bit of courage needed and reaches a reddish-brown lizard-bird-taloned hand 
down to the ground and gathers a stone, and then hurls it at Washington. It lands with a sickening but weakly thunk. Ow! The fuck? Get out. Emboldened by their leader's gall and audacity, several of the other creatures emerge from their hiding places and begin encircling the agents. What do you want, humans? What now? Leave this place. Haven't you taken enough? What have you done with Frankie? Where did he go? Whoa, whoa. Easy there, Birdman. We're just passing through. We didn't do anything to Frankie, and we're not who you think we are. We're different. She's different. Maybe. I've never seen one like you. But you... You are the same human. We know your kind. Let us have his blood. Gather stones, my friends. Help us. No, Bin-Bin, don't ask for help. We are reigning terror. Don't you remember? Terror! Help you, how? Arnok is right, Mish. Don't ask these humans for help. Go home, human. Depart or face our wrath. Give me another stone, Arnok. Lizardo, it's enough. It's easy to see that these two are not humans. I mean, they do look like humans, but clearly they are different. Can't you see it? Their eyes. Look at them. Death to all humans. Don't mind Lizardo, friends. He has started thinking like a human. Thinking that everything can be solved with violence. We don't mean any harm. Truly. There will be no need to report us. Report you to who? Frankie said the same thing. What's going on here? Please don't. Conway, you lot are making fools of yourselves. Since the dome's gone up, we've barely seen a soul out here. Most human beings don't come here unless... You know. Actually, we don't. We're, as you guessed, not from around here. We need some answers, though. Take, take, take. You force shapes, force time. I used to live backwinding, now I live like this. Why make this? Lizardo is right. Let us brain these humans. Don't upset them. I'm sorry. Really sorry. Just jokes. Really. These two have lost their little minds, it seems. Lizardo did just lose his egglings. You don't have to be scared of us. Like ancient Washington said, we're here to get to the bottom of what is going on here. We want to help. Help this. Hey, easy there, Lizardo. You're pressing your luck with all the rock throwing. Or what? What are you going to do, human? What can you do that you haven't already done? Enough, Lizardo. Let us hear these new humans out. Perhaps those eyes are telling the truth. I'll devour those sweet eyes like candies. We should have killed them all when they came. Now they are too strong. These two look weak. They don't have any of Conway's toys or tricks, you can tell. Yes. Take our land. Take our lives. Shape us. Bend us. And then we break. Now we break you, humans. If we could just talk this- Ah, Lizardo. He's having none of this pretty talk, though. And yes, yes, he is jumping onto Harris's head now, and is- Yep. He's definitely pecking his head. Classic Lizardo. But let's leave these pecking shenanigans for a moment and venture back in time and space 
to another broken city and to another dismal war. Where in God's green earth? During the Second World War, Eddie Everton was part of the first wave of paratroopers to land on this continent. Like many of his fellow soldiers, he would eventually see his fair share of horror and carnage, but nothing would compare to that first night when he'd found himself far behind the enemy lines and woefully separated from his unit. As he made his way along a deserted country road in the north of France, his bearings completely and hopelessly off, he came to a literal and metaphorical fork in the road. To the right, he saw what he thought might be the town of Dancourt, which he knew from his briefing was a stronghold of the German 2nd Division. To the left, the deep and forbidding woods of the Haute Forêt de Manuel II. Not an ideal destination by any stretch of the imagination, but one far superior to the certain death that would await him in Dancourt. As he stumbled through this ancient forest, he was surprised to see what he thought must be a small hamlet that wasn't included in their briefing. For just a moment, he was suddenly hopeful that he'd found support, and maybe even partisans that might assist him in rejoining his unit. But as he drew closer to the outskirts of this forgotten little town, something started to feel very wrong, and those hopes quickly faded. He couldn't quite put his finger on what it was that was wrong. An itch, maybe, in the back of his mind, or a kind of current that seemed to be passed through him, or... No, maybe it was a smell, or something rotten, moldering in the air. When he finally made it into the town, there was no doubt about it. It was a smell, one he would know well by the end of the war. It was the smell of corpses which would be unsettling enough, but even more unsettling was the state of the dead. Eddie could hardly make sense out of what he was seeing. Somehow, the Germans had pulled the bodies inside out. But no, it wasn't the Germans. Something else had done this unspeakable deed. Deep down, he knew that. The Germans were an evil unlike any that the world had ever known, and yet... It seemed clear that a dark force far greater and more powerful than the Germans could ever be had done this terrible thing. Eddie Everton desperately wanted to run away, his eyes closed tight, to run right into the arms of the Germans if necessary, to escape this evil. And yet, he felt compelled to continue on, felt compelled to witness the horror firsthand. He didn't know why, he felt called to witness, called to account, called as if by a very small voice, a woman's voice, he thought. Finally, when he thought he could bear no more, and thought sure that he was ready to turn away or turn to madness, he came to a crumbling hall. It seemed an object out of place and time, an edifice built in another age by hands not human. As he stood before the gilded doors, his hands hanging dumbly at his side, his rifle forgotten, and his survival no longer a concern, a man appeared. A man of sorts. More the shape of a man than an actual man. Where his eyes should have been, 
only empty sockets remained. Where his flesh and muscle should have been, only tattered and torn meat hung there. And where his mouth should have been, only a gaping, formless maw, the jaw mindlessly closing and opening. No sound seemed possible. The poor creature held out his hands, and in them was a book, leather-bound with seven symbols etched onto the cover. The man croaked out. She is the end of the beginning. The beginning of the end. The man pushed the book into Eddie's hand and then collapsed into a lifeless pile of charnel and carrion. And then, in a blink of an eye, the little town that never was bubbled and roiled as if it was boiling in a giant pot. It melted and splashed like liquid iron, and then was gone. Eddie closed his eyes, certain that he'd just gone mad, certain that he'd finally snapped from the stress or the battle fatigue, certain that he'd be waking at any moment from a nightmare, safe and sound, at home and in bed. Would have felt certain of any of these things if not for the fact that he could still feel that book in his hands and could still hear that whisper telling him to hold tight to the book, to hide it away, to keep the secret. And it was that obsidian night, lost in the forests of France, that haunted memory of those decimated corpses, and of course that eyeless gaze that kept him up most nights after the war. His days, too, were a living nightmare of sorts, clouded by doubt and uncertainty. What evil had been visited on the people of the world that night? And what was the inarticulate secret that he was meant to keep? And what was the book? And was he guarding it, or its prisoner? He did not know. It was these black thoughts that he was sweeping from his mind on the cold fall day when his brother came to him with a plan. And suddenly, everything seemed to make perfect sense. These vets are all coming home, ready to settle down. They've got sweet GI bills and guaranteed loans from Uncle Sam. Only home isn't home anymore. Right, Eddie? It's not safe. Not anywhere. Right. But what if we built them the homes they want? In the neighborhoods they want. Good, wholesome American homes. There's no safe place in this world. Until we build it, brother. That's my point. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Let's build something safe, secure. What do you say? Huh. Oh, yeah. Whatever you say, Ernie. A safe place. That sounds real swell. Get off him! Yeah, what the hell are you doing? Get off me! I hate you. I hate you. Enough! Please, Lizardo! Just get off him. Stop! Please! Just... You're not even breaking the skin. You're forcing my hand over here. You were hurting him. It's not... Look, I'm fine. We just want... Hello, baby. A little bit of a Big Bopper reference for you. This is another update from your friends at the Everworld Happy Housing Committee. We hope you're having a swell day. 
This message goes out to all you rabble-rousers, troublemakers, and ne'er-do-wells. It might seem like a hep thing to cause a rumble, but don't shake, rattle, and roll the system. We trust you're all behaving and being the cat's meow, but now is the time to come together and pitch in for the greater good. And that means it's time for another tithe. Dig deep, friends. Give what you need. Give from your heart. Give until it hurts. Tithe. No, 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 I told you. These humans have brought the tithes. We were safe, and no humans have led them right to our door. So fast this time. Everyone scatter! What's a tithe? What is a tither? Well, a tither is kind of like a locust. Only bigger. Much bigger. And ugly. And nasty. And deadly. They're kind of like a Frankenstein's monster. Part mechanic, part organic, and all bad. The tithers are essentially bits and pieces of the native folks, all mixed up with robotic parts of Conway's design. Corpses propped up with technology is the short answer. They've got only one purpose, and no moral bearing. They're here to harvest, to collect tithes. And the tithes that they collect, well, you could probably guess. They're out for blood. Native blood. As their metallic, insect-like legs skitter and clank on the ground, and their scythe-like pincers tear through the air, they seem at once both chaotic and perfectly suited to their grisly task. No, this is not good. No shit, Harris. Take cover, do not fire unless fired upon. We do not want to get caught up in something we know nothing about. Got it? Sure. Don't fire, take cover, got it. As you probably guessed, Mish's pleas go unheeded by the tither, and once it has its prey, it launches itself again into the sky. Where in the fuck? Where is that thing taking him? No one answered Washington this time. They were all too busy running for their lives. Agent Harris, his sense of duty rising to the top, his fear suddenly forgotten, emerges from his cover. He steps boldly in front of Lizardo, his gun raised, his voice commanding. You there! Freeze! Hey! Stop it! Don't move! But the tither simply steps around Agent Harris. It is careful to avoid him, not wanting to hurt or bother the agent. It is less concerned with the feelings of hapless Lazardo, though, who it quickly impales on one of its sides. Fuck me! Let's not end there. The tithers are not a place to end an episode. Rather, let's wrap it up before all of the gory tithing of the distant future. Let's journey back to a few years after the Second World War, back in the Everton office of Eddie and Ernie. Ernie's just wrapping up a phone call. Eddie? Yeah? You're not going to believe this. You know those picks you gave me? The ones for Belmont? Sure. They all hit. And I mean all of them. It almost seems impossible. It's enough to cover the seed money to pay the concrete guys. You don't say. Well, I do say. Where'd you get those picks? I don't know. You don't know? Is this like a mob thing? 
Witchcraft? What have you gotten yourself into? No, nothing like that. It's hard to explain. Try me. I'm great at listening to explanations. Even the wild ones. It's a war thing, Ern, and it, it doesn't always work. Let's call it intuition, but an intuition that only works once in a while, like a 50-50 intuition. Okay. A war thing, huh? Yeah, you wouldn't understand. I, I mean, don't take that the wrong way, not because... I didn't want to be a 4F. I know, I know. That's not what I meant. It's not really about the war. It's, well, it's something else, really. Let's just say I found something, something that can tell the future. Sometimes. Like a crystal ball? No, not exactly. It's not the future, necessarily. It's more like it tells me when something is a good bet. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I've actually wanted to tell you about it for a long time now. I just didn't know what to say or how to explain it. You know what? Just just wait here. I've got something to show you. Eddie goes over to the filing cabinet and unlocks the bottom drawer. Inside is a lockbox, one that Ernie has never seen. Eddie pops it open and pulls out that familiar leather book with those seven symbols etched onto the cover. Ta-da! Um, huh. You got a magical book that tells you the names of Belmont winners? Okay. What's the punchline? Look, closer, feel it. You got this over there? Yes, during the... What is this, Eddie? What language is this? This supposed to be French? It doesn't look like French. I don't know. Can you read this? Sometimes. Sometimes? This is... Huh. I don't know what this is. You couldn't have brought back a Van Gogh or some of that Nazi gold? You brought back a magic book. That sometimes tells you things. If you can read it. This is better than any Van Gogh, kid. It showed me the winners of that race, Scout's Honor. Where? In the back? Put your hand here, between these symbols. Is it gonna shock me? Is this some kind of gag, Ed? You put me on? Just put your hands where I tell you. Sure, fine. Don't give me the sad dog eyes. I'll put my hands on your special book. Where at? Here? Yes. What the heck is that? You goofing me? Did you see something? What kind of crazy voodoo is that thing? You're messing with things. I I don't understand what's happening here. How did you... Tell me what you saw. I saw... I saw a woman. A beautiful woman, all dressed in white. And everywhere she stepped, flowers grew. Right. And she... Gosh, Eddie. I think she was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. I don't even know what to say. She was... Who was that? And how did you feel? When I saw her? When you touched the book. I don't know. Warm, I guess. No, not warm. I I felt like I was on fire. But the fire didn't hurt. And it wasn't burning me, but... I don't know. I guess I felt good. Safe. That's right. Safe. That's exactly the word. The world is a dangerous place, right, Ern? The war might be over, but the world has never been scarier. The Russians got missiles pointed every which way but loose. We're doing the same. The cities are turning into dumps with all the integration and bums and winos hanging on every corner. And the kids, don't even get me started on the kids. But when I touch this book, 
I feel safe. I feel like it's leading me, leading us. When you came to me with the whole plan for a place of our own, a safe place, I knew that the book was doing it. Bringing us together to build something great, a beautiful place, a place free from want, a safe place. Every time I put my hand right here, I can see that place. There. There it is. What'd you see? Did you see her? No. I see a name. Conway. Margaret's Garden was written by Pacific S. Obadiah and Jonathan Goldberg. Script editing by Frankie Serrano. Our narrator was Graham Rowitz. Margaret was Jordan Cobb. Eddie was Zach Labresco. Ernie was Atticus Jackson. Washington was Risa M. Harris was Russell Moore. Mars was Eric Kemp. Frank the Stank was Alvin Bowling II. Lizardo was Dana Creaseman. Mish was Tao Minier. Arnock was Ezra Wayne. Bin Bin was Emmett Moon and housing committee was Alyssa Park. Our composer is Danny Sweet. I'm your sound designer, Pacific S. Obadiah, and Margaret's Garden is produced by Brad Miska and Tom Owen. Visit margaretspodcast.com for more information, or support our show by going to midnightdisease.net slash join. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.